Hello everyone, and welcome back to Endopod. For those of you who are new here, my name is Teresa Rinitaku, and I'm a third-year medical student. In today's episode, we are continuing on from last week with our endogyny series. Go check out last week's episode on polycystic ovary syndrome by Lewis if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Today, we are going to discuss the changes pregnancy has on the body's normal function, both caused by a change in the production of chemical messengers, called hormones, and increasing in the size of the unborn baby, or else fetus. I will take you through this topic system by system, ranging from musculoskeletal, endocrine, reproductive, cardiovascular, respiratory, gastrointestinal, metabolic, renal and urinary, as well as hematological systems. As we know, the body goes through a large number of changes during pregnancy. It helps to know what changes are normal in healthy pregnant women and when we have to investigate further for possible underlying diseases. To start off, let us take a look at the musculoskeletal system, made up by your bones and muscles, muscular for muscles, and skeletal from the Greek word skeletos, which means your bones. The physiological changes occurring in this system include changes in the posture of pregnant women, as well as changes in surfaces between articulating and joining bones. Firstly, we have postural changes, the overall balance between the spine and the pelvis, which makes the front part of the hip bone changes as the pregnancy progresses and this leads to a change in posture. This is especially due to the weight gain, increased blood volume and the growth of the fetus towards the forward direction. As a result, the center of gravity no longer falls over the feet. There will be an increase in anterior posterior and medial lateral sway and thus women may need to lean backwards to gain the correct balance resulting in disorganization of spinal curves, kyphosis and lordosis. This leads to a shift of posture with exaggerated inward bending of the lower back in the lumbar section of the spine, and this leads to the typical gait of late pregnancy. What gait we're referring to? Well, just think of a woman with her two hands on her lower back, leaning backwards. This is the posture we're referring to. During pregnancy, there are changes in levels of several pregnancy hormones, such as relaxin, estrogen, and progesterone, which results in an alteration in the production and regulation of a strong connective tissue called collagen. This flexibility is a result of breakdown of the tough collagen in the targeted group of cells, and it will then be replaced by a changed version of collagen that is more elastic as it contains more water. This will then increase connective tissue flexibility and extensibility. As a result, structures that connect bone to bone, called ligaments, are at higher risk of being elastic with reduced passive joint stability. This elasticity to ligaments reaches its maximum elastic point in the second trimester of pregnancy, and this ligament laxity can continue for about six months after the delivery of the baby. Two joints particularly affected are the symphysis pubis and sacroiliac joints. Pubic symphysis is the frontmost bone joint at the pubic area, and sacroiliac joint is the joint between the spine and the hip bone. 
These two joints are particularly affected to allow enough space for the birth of a baby. Due to these changes, the normal pubic symphysis gap of 4 to 5 mm shows an average increase of 3 mm during pregnancy. Pelvic joint loosening begins around week 10 with maximum loosening near term, which is around 37 weeks of pregnancy. Sacrococcygeal joints, which are joints in the very bottom part of the spine, are also loosened. By the time we reach the third trimester, the muscles at the hip and muscles at the ankles increase their total power during the walking cycle, as there is an increase of more than 2.8 times on the pressure acting on joints when standing compared to normal. Next, we will discuss a bit about hormonal changes. Pregnancy alters the function of most endocrine organs releasing hormones. This is partly due to the production of hormones by the placenta and partly because most hormones go around the blood by binding to proteins and protein binding increases during pregnancy and therefore affect the amount of free hormones in the circulation. Few hormones that are altered during pregnancy include beta-human chorionicotropin, thyroid-stimulating hormone, adrenocorticotrophic hormone, melanocyte-releasing hormone, and prolactin. Let's start with beta-HCG, or else beta-human chorionicotropin. It is a hormone that causes the release of more hormones by stimulating other endocrine glands like follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, maintaining the corpus luteum, which is the form of the follicle the egg was released after ovulation, which prevents further egg production. Initially, beta-HCG levels will rise as you go further in pregnancy, roughly doubling every 48 hours until they plateau around 8 to 12 weeks, when they gradually start to fall. Due to the production of beta-HCG, levels of estrogen and progesterone increase early during pregnancy, as this beta-HCG stimulates the ovaries to continuously produce these two hormones. After weeks 9 to 10 of pregnancy, the placenta itself produces a large amount of estrogen and progesterone to help maintain the pregnancy. In addition, the placenta also produces a hormone that is similar to the thyroid-stimulating hormone that stimulates the thyroid, causing abnormal growth of thyroid gland cells, increased blood supply to the thyroid gland, and moderate enlargement. Estrogen that was also increased stimulates liver cells, which will lead to an increase in thyroxine-binding globulin, a protein that is specific to binding to thyroid hormones and transporting them in the blood. Thus, although total thyroxine may increase, levels of free thyroid hormones remain normal. Effects of thyroid hormone tend to increase and may resemble hyperthyroidism with increased heart rate, the feeling of the heart beating hard against the chest, excessive sweating and emotional instability. True hyperthyroidism is rare in pregnancy. This is just normal manifestation and isn't actually of concern. Moving on, the placenta also produces corticotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus, which stimulates maternal adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH, production. 
increased ACTH levels, increase the production of adrenal hormones, especially aldosterone and cortisol, leading to ankle swelling and water retention, as well as other effects. The placenta also produces melanocyte-stimulating hormone, MSH, which increases skin pigmentation in late pregnancy by increasing the skin pigment melanin production. The pituitary gland enlarges by about 135% during pregnancy. The maternal plasma prolactin level increases by 10 times. This increase in prolactin is related to an increase in thyrotropin-releasing hormone production, stimulated by estrogen. The primary function of increased prolactin is to ensure milk production. The level returns to normal after birth, even in those who breastfeed. Now that we have gone through a couple of hormonal changes that occur in pregnancy, it is important to bear in mind that the increased production of corticosteroids and increased placental production of progesterone leads to insulin resistance and an increased need for insulin, as does the stress of pregnancy and possibly the increased level of human placental lactogen. Insulinase, a biological catalyst that breaks down insulin produced by the placenta, may also increase insulin requirements, so that women with gestational diabetes develop a more severe form of that diabetes. Moving on, we will discuss a bit about the changes going on in the reproductive system. During pregnancy, the internal genital tract undergoes changes in the anatomy and physiology to accommodate the changes and development of the fetus. As pregnancy progresses, the uterus leaves from the lower part of the pelvis and moves higher into the abdomen. The structures in the abdomen are displaced in response to the increased size of the uterus, which is five times more than normal. Since it compresses the bladder, pregnant women need to urinate more often and similarly, since the uterus compresses the rectum, they may feel constipated. This increase in size of the uterus is also associated with increased blood supply to the uterus and increased muscle activity of the uterus. The uterus continues to increase in size until 38 weeks, and after that, the fundus level starts to descend, preparing for delivery. The cervix also experiences some changes. The mucous glands of the cervix enlarge during pregnancy and secrete a mucus plaque called operculum. This acts as a seal for the uterus and protects it from ascending infection and acts as a barrier between the vagina and the cervix. Lastly, during pregnancy, there is an increase in blood supply to the vagina. Its color changes from pink to purple and becomes more elastic in the second trimester. We will now move on to changes in the cardiovascular system, which encompasses peripheral increase in the diameter of blood vessels, increased cardiac output, heart rate and stroke volume, which is the volume of blood pumped outside the left ventricle per heartbeat, as well as changes in blood pressure throughout pregnancy. Firstly, 
We have increase in the diameter of blood vessels in the periphery, as well as an increase in cardiac output by 20% by week 8. There will be further increase in cardiac output up to 40% maximum at week 20 to 28. In labor, there will also be further increase in cardiac output and then a huge increase immediately after delivery. It will then return to normal within an hour. The increase in cardiac output during pregnancy is due mainly to demands of the circulation between the placenta and the uterus, otherwise called the uteroplacental circulation. Volume of the uteroplacental circulation increases markedly. As the placenta and fetus develops, blood flow to the uterus must increase to about 1 liter per minute, which is already 20% of normal cardiac output at term. The increased needs of skin to regulate temperature, as well as kidneys to excrete wastes, accounts for some of the increased cardiac output. To increase cardiac output, heart rate increases from the normal 70 to as high as 90 beats per minute, and the strength of the heart's contraction also increases. During the second trimester, blood pressure tends to drop and pulse pressure widens, even though there is an increase in cardiac output and renin and angiotensin. This is because uteroplacental circulation expands and the resistance from central blood vessels decreases. This decrease in resistance is due to the reduction in blood thickness and density and sensitivity to angiotensin. During the third trimester, blood pressure may return to normal. The blood coming back to the heart from the rest of the body can be compromised in late pregnancy if a woman lies flat on her back due to pressure from the uterus on the big vein that leads back to the heart, resulting in reduced cardiac output since less blood returns to the heart. This is important and we should not lie a pregnant woman completely flat as reduced cardiac output can compromise fetal blood supply. Exercise increases cardiac output, heart rate, oxygen consumption and respiratory volume per minute more during pregnancy than at other times. I have discussed a couple of physiological changes related to the heart. It is important to bear in mind that there will be some findings on cardiac examination or ECG which is an electrocardiogram, which is the machine used to check the electrical activity of the heart. Changes that might be different than usual, but are still normal. There might be a strongly felt or collapsing pulse, third heart sound, which is a nodded sound while listening to a pregnant woman's heart with a stethoscope after mid-pregnancy, and murmurs. Some murmurs are normal, but others, such as diastolic murmurs, when the heart relaxes, might be due to some kind of pathology in pregnancy. Moving on, let us quickly run through some metabolic changes that occur in pregnancy. During pregnancy, the basal metabolic rate, the rate at which food is broken down, utilized by the body, stored or excreted, increases slowly over the course of pregnancy, usually by 15 to 20%. It is thought that energy requirements do not increase significantly during the first or second trimesters. There is about 200 calorie increase in energy requirements per day in the third trimester. Pregnant women, however, seem to use less active energy. The recommended normal weight gain in pregnancy is 11 to 16 kilograms for a woman of normal BMI. Usually, only around 5 kilograms is fetus, placenta, membranes, and amniotic fluid and the rest 
is maternal stores of fat and protein and increased volume inside and outside of the blood. Weight is no longer monitored in pregnancy as it does not affect outcomes and is affected by a number of factors. Now we can move on to the respiratory system. Physiological changes in this system include changes in lung function to lower carbon dioxide levels and increase oxygen consumption. Lung function changes partly due to increased progesterone levels and partly because of the enlarging uterus that interferes with lung expansion. Progesterone signals the brain to lower carbon dioxide levels. To lower carbon dioxide levels, the normal volume breathed in and out with a normal breath and the volume of air breathed in and out per minute and the respiratory rate increase, thus increasing the plasma pH. Oxygen consumption increases by about 20% to meet the increased metabolic needs of the fetus, placenta and several maternal organs. Expiratory and lung air volume remaining at the end of normal and forced breath out and the filling capacity of the lungs as well as plasma CO2 decrease. The maximum amount of volume of air that can be exhaled after a maximum breath is, is taken in and plasma CO2 do not change. Thoracic circumference will also increase by about 10 centimeters. During pregnancy, there is usually considerable increase in blood flow and swelling of the respiratory tract. Occasionally, there might be nasal stiffness and other nose and airway symptoms relating to obstruction. Eustachian tubes which connect the middle and inner ear and provide balance between the pressure inside the ear and outside are transiently blocked so hearing can be affected slightly. Mild difficulty in breathing during excretion is common and deep breaths are more common as well in pregnancy. Next is the gastrointestinal and urinary systems. Nausea and vomiting are common in early pregnancy. Appetite is usually increased, sometimes with specific cravings. Progesterone causes relaxation of the lower esophageal sphincter, which is a structure providing connection between the esophagus and the stomach, and thus increases the movement of food in the wrong direction, from stomach to esophagus, making many women prone to heartburn, which is a burning sensation in the center of the chest. Pressure on the stomach from the enlarging uterus further contributes to this in later pregnancy. Food takes longer to move through the intestines since everything in our GI tract slows down. Hence, this allows increased nutrient absorption and constipation is a common phenomenon during pregnancy. Next is the gallbladder. During pregnancy, there may also be an enlargement of the gallbladder and it may not empty fully. As mentioned before, there is an increase in blood volume and cardiac output during pregnancy and this applies to the renal and urinary tract as well. This also causes an increase in blood flow to the kidneys so they filter more blood and produce more urine. This increase in filtration may lead to mild abnormal glucose presence and or protein in the urine. This occurs when increases in filtration exceed the ability of the renal tubules to reabsorb glucose and protein. In pregnancy, there is also an increase in water retention and this leads to the reduction of plasma osmolality, making the blood less diluted. Bladder smooth muscle also relaxes during pregnancy and this increases its filling capacity as well as the risk of urinary tract infections because of lower pressure in the uterus, allowing for retrograde flow of urine. The enlarging uterus may also put pressure on ureters which transfer the filter 
urine from the kidneys to the bladder, leading to urine retention and potentially fluid buildup in the kidneys, leading to a condition known as hydronephros. 2-10% of women have bacteria in the urine without any symptoms in pregnancy, and if untreated, up to 30% may develop acute pyelonephritis. The last system we are going to cover is hematology, which is the study of blood. The blood volume increases over the course of pregnancy by about 50%. Dilutional anemia is caused by the rise in plasma volume. The elevated erythropoietin levels, which are used for the production of red blood cells, increase the total red cell mass by the end of the second trimester, but hemoglobin concentrations never reach pre-pregnancy levels, as the rise in plasma volume is much greater. Modest increase in the immune system white blood cells can be observed. Normal pregnancy also creates a demand for 1000 mg of additional iron. In terms of coagulability, levels of some clotting factors and fibrinogen increase with fibrinolytic activity decreasing. Therefore, more blood clots can form. These changes protect mom from hemorrhage at delivery but also make pregnancy a hypercoagulable state, which increases risk of thromboembolism. We have talked about number of physiological changes that occur during pregnancy. This will not be complete if we do not talk about the important investigation that is commonly done, which is bloods. So how do we interpret blood test results in pregnancy? In pregnancy, hemoglobin is decreased. White blood cell count is usually increased. Platelets is unchanged or slightly increased. Sodium and potassium are usually decreased. Urea is decreased but it will be increased in dehydration, increase in vomiting, late stage of preeclampsia. Creatinine is decreased. Fasting glucose should be unchanged, but can be increased in diabetes. Total calcium should be decreased. Magnesium should remain unchanged. Albumin, which is a protein in blood that carries a lot of substances, usually is decreased. Bilirubin, the yellow substance in our blood, is usually decreased. ALT and AST may be unchanged or slightly decreased. ALP, which is found in liver, kidneys, bones, and intestines, is usually increased. Thyroid-stimulating hormone usually slightly decreases, and free levels of T3 and T4 should remain unchanged, but could be increased in Graves' disease, which is the most common cause of hyperthyroidism, or in hyperemesis gravitarum. To conclude, there are various changes that occur during pregnancy that should be kept in mind. Patients may present differently than normal, but that does not mean that it is always pathological. It is very important to always consider lab results in the light of a patient's clinical status. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow our social media platforms at Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and tune in next week for our next episode of our endogyne series on endometriosis. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and we thank you for your support. If you have any requests for future podcasts, please let us know. Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society is a student-led organization and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. 
This does not replace the advice of a doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third year of their medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. To view them, please check the episode description. Thank you for listening.